Cripplings, to your favorite Wednesday night podcast, the Paranatural Cryptid Preservation Society. And tonight, we have a great cryptid for you that we found so much information on. You are going to be mind-blown, baked noodle, whole nine yards. So, grab your snick snack, your favorite cuddle buddy, build yourself a pillow for it, and get ready for the goodness, because tonight we're bringing you Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga, or Baba Yaga? Baba Daba? Baba I think, I think the, with the, the spelling, the J spelling, I think it, the J still makes the Y sound. I think, I'm, okay. I, I don't know. I don't know... Uh, Russian or uh, Czech or Slovak or any of those. So we'll just go with it because <laughs> I have no yeah. idea. We will go with it. So uh, what we found goes back to several different pantheons and several different cultures. It's not just Slavic or Russian culture that has Bob Yaga in it. Isn't it funny how, like, the more we explore all this, the more we realize that these myths and legends are not just, like, localized, but they're actually global myths that just kind of take different uh, facets based on the culture that it happens to be with at the time. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty fascinating the way this all, this all turned out. Baba Yaga, we'll go, we'll, we'll start with the basics and then we'll start going down the rabbit hole. We'll start, because, we'll start baking some noodles. Yes, plenty <laughs> of rabbit holes to go down with uh, Lady Baba Yaga here. So let me give you the basics before Kellick here jumps in and dives into the first. <laughs> Of so many that we have found. Okay, so in Slavic folklore, Baba Yaga, also spelled Baba J-A-G-A, which is Polish, is a supernatural being or one of a trio of sisters of the same name, so they all go by Baba Yaga, who appears as a deformed and or ferocious looking woman. In fairy tales, Baba Yaga flies around in a mortar, wields the pestle, and dwells deep in the forest in a hut, usually described as standing on chicken legs, which we're going to get into that, too, because it's, it's rather fascinating how it's been uh, interpreted over the years. Baba Yaga may help, or she may hinder those that encounter or seek her out and may play a maternal role. She has associations with forest wildlife, and according to Vladimir Prop's folktale morphology, Baba Yaga commonly appears as either a donor or a villain or maybe altogether ambiguous. She's just kind of standing by watching all the fun happen. I, after everything that I have read about Baba Yaga in, in the last couple of days, she has like become one of my spirit animals. And I'm just saying this because <laughs> she is almost, she's like the female version of Loki. 
Okay. She's, she's chaotic. She has no rhyme or reason. She has no rules that she lives by. She just kind of does her own thing and either you're with it or you're not. So, and, See, and I, that's what I come love about her. I kind of feel like she is a chaotic neutral where she really doesn't care whether things happen that are bad or good. Like she eats children. I mean, that's, that's not a good thing, but you know, (laughs) just say it. But like at the same time, she also like helps people. Basically if somebody needs to overcome something, she, puts you in the way of disaster to kind of help you overcome it. And if you're successful, if you're not, well, looks like you just weren't good enough then or something to that effect. I don't know. It's weird. It is weird. Well, she, she's going to, she sets you up. Okay. She's, she does answer prayers because in some, in some of these, uh, these cultures, Baba Yaga is a goddess. Okay, she's not right. just a cryptic. She is a goddess. So she sets up these uh, scenarios for you to go through, right? And she kind of sits back and, and, and watches to see what you're going to do, how you're going to handle it, you know, or if you're just going to be her next meal. <laughs> right, exactly. She, yeah, in some of these, these, uh, these cultures, she doesn't just eat children. Uh, she she's not biased. She'll eat anybody. <laughs> She'll eat anybody, but in but in some of the retellings, um, in some of of these mythology and the folklore that we found, she prefers the male version to the female version of the humans of the humanity of the human race. So, in in terms of uh, delectable, yeah. yes, delectable. <laughs> in terms of delectable delight. <laughs> she will, that's what she prefers, but she'll pretty, you know, if she's hungry, she'll eat anything. She'll go for it. So, <laughs> right. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty insane. Now, the first mention of her was actually in um, woodblock prints dating back to the 17th century. So these are the first recorded uh, tellings of her story, but. Even then, like when, like in 1755, uh, me, I'm going to butcher this. Uh, Mikhail La- Lamanasov, uh, he he wrote it. He made a grammar book. I'm not even going to try to read the title. Uh, but Baba Yaga was in that book, and at that point. Uh, he was talking about the Slavic pantheon and everything, and she was already very, very old at that point, as if it had just been going through oral tradition for many, 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 many years. So mm-hmm. she was, uh, she's already been around for a long, long time, but that was 1755 was kind of the first uh, mention of her. But yeah, it's it's crazy how you know how they portray her because sometimes you know she's portrayed as um, you know a an old woman like the uh, the crow the crow. You're being, you're being so nice in like how they how they go about describing her. <laughs> well, 
they do describe her as a crone, but she's ugly. Like she's oh, ugly. Yeah. She, she's ugly, Nancy. Like this is not something you want to approach on a rainy day. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so go ahead. And here's my thing. Like, so she is beyond ugly. I mean, she's got a nose that when she lays on the floor of her cottage, her nose actually touches the ceiling. Or at least that's what they say in the fairy tales. So, yeah. I mean, and she's not. No. <laughs> no. And she's not. one. One thing that I find interesting is that there's always mention of a part of her body, whether it be a leg or a dead eye or some body part that is skeletal or dead, uh, kind of linking her to that that realm of the the dead or that underworld that, realm. Like she's she exists yeah. in both worlds, kind of thing. Yeah, she does. Like in one one version, I I think it's the Slavic version. It's her leg. Her leg is just a skeletal leg, and, and then, everything is like fleshy and alive. There's also I was reading one where it was talking about how she has a leg made of iron. Now that there's a lot of mention about iron in regards to her, whether it's that her teeth are made of iron, her leg is made of iron. Um, she flies around in an iron pestle. I mean, or mortar, I'm sorry. Uh, well, she carries around an iron pestle as well. So there's a lot of iron, which kind of makes me feel like she would not be a part of the Fae. You know, when we're talking about, like the Fae a lot, we, we generally, it's generally known that like Fae don't like iron or cold iron. So right. yeah, I wonder if that puts her in a completely different category altogether. Like you mentioned, uh, she's more of like a goddess than, you know, like a cryptid. Now her house, percent cryptid. And we'll we'll get into that later, but <laughs> her house is well, crazy. Now, the reason why we're talking about goddess is because in Slavic and Polish pantheon, because there's seven pantheons, by the way, um, and one of the pantheons that she is mentioned in, and it's going to blow y'all's minds because it blew mine. She is a three faced goddess and if anybody has been following the podcast for for any amount of time you would know that we have spoken about three-faced goddess before um the mother maiden in crow um the uh hecate is considered an underworld three-faced goddess and the yep. morgan in irish folklore and she so a goddess is a three-faced goddess. She is the washer at the ford, the red queen, the phantom queen. Um, she comes in times of great need and death and wartime. And here's another thing that's going to boggle your mind. That's going to make you know, how did these things become connected? Because we're still, I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to figure out how Bobby Yaga became connected to all of these goddesses herself. But the things and the animals that she is represented by. 
totally like in mind boggling in terms of in terms of like her shape shifting or animals around her. Um, her totems. Like if you go back and uh, read some of the folklore, um, Andreas Johns identifies Baba Yaga as one of the most memorable and distinctive figures in Eastern European folklore and observes that she is enigmatic and often exhibits striking ambiguity. Now, he says that John summarizes she, that Baba Yaga, as a many-faceted figure capable of inspiring researchers to see her as a cloud, moon, death, winter, snake, bird, pelican, or earth goddess, and to, to, I can't say this word, but a matriarchal ancestress and female initiator or archetypal image. So she's she's represented by these these animals, the snake and the bird and the pelican. And another goddess, Hectine, is also represented by the snake. Interesting. Yeah. And well and also in I don't know if this is related, but in the fairy tales or folklore that you know the stories of her, she's a lot of times other animals are mentioned as being you know living with her, such as like the cat, like you said, the snake. Mm-hmm. Um, there's let's see what else was there. There was the well the forest alone. I mean, in one of the fairy tales that I read. Um, even the forest turned against her because, you know, the children that she was chasing after uh, had treated the forest and the animals well. And mm-hmm. so when it was time that for them to escape, they took care of the children and she actually was prevented from harming them. Yeah. So it, it's interesting, like the types of animals that and well, just creatures of the forest in general that are mentioned along with her. Yeah, she's got, she's got plenty. And if you go to like the Russian folklore of Baba Yaga, she isn't, she's not like a human. Um, she's an ogre. She's a giant ogre. And that would actually make a lot of sense. Right, it does make a lot of sense. She's doing she's great. She will punch you in the face, Bobby. <laughs> That's how I remember it all. Is that that little ditty? And it the funny thing is, is like so. You've got the ogre from from the Russian folklore, okay, or the Slavic folklore, and she steals, cooks, and eats her victims, usually children. But in, like, the reverse of that, she is the guardian of the fountains of the water of life. Interesting. Right? So how does that work? I am interested to know how she started off, as Baba Yaga started off, as this goddess, this ancient being who was the not only the guardian of the waters of life, but was also a death deity. Right, because she would right. said that she would like follow death around, like kind of just 
be his little sidekick in her little mortar and she's like pushing it around with her pestle and stuff you know like a weird canoe and she's following besides death and every time death would reap a soul she would just kind of like pick them out like her doors and just swallow whole souls that death was just kind of like absentmindedly picking up on the way you know now, when you mentioned earlier that, you know, she was a three-faced deity. Yes. Now, in terms of, like, other deities that are like that, I mean, you've got the Norns, you've got the mm-hmm. Fae Sisters. Uh, there's, I, I'm wondering if there's some kind of connection there between, like, okay, so Scandinavian culture. To, I mean, you've got the Norns. So, but Scandinavia is very close to Russia, and we know that the Vikings had some dealings with the Rus way back when. And so I can see how the, you know, the, the ties between the cultures can happen. So I'm wondering if she is one of the Norns. Because if she's with the two other sisters, and which is mentioned a couple of times throughout, you know, the mythology and everything, but I'm wondering if she is part of that, and she's really, you know, one of the Norns or the Fates, because there were three Fates as well with Greek mythology. So, yeah. I, I mean, she very well could be considered a you know, part of the fate because there's death, which is represented by the crone. It's the end right. of life, you know, but then again, she's also kind of a goddess of chaos. She's a goddess of um, pretty much like repercussions, I guess you could say for lack of a better word. And a lot of the, the, the representations for the three faces is really the three stages of life, you know, birth right. and then middle and death. So, I, honestly, the way that she is described in, in all of these different folklores, there's no way to pin her down in, in one role. Right. And she, I think, she uh, like, she, so as a, a deity, I, like, she's kind of on a grander scale than just like your average deity like Zeus or, you know, Hephaestus or whoever, you know, like her, like we were going into her name earlier in terms of like the etymology and stuff. And like her name basically translates to like grandmother world, like grandmother earth or creation. So Mm -hmm. like, She's kind of one of those was here in the beginning kind of things. So, like, I wonder if she was part of the that book of wars against the Yehovah. I'm wondering mm-hmm. if she's in there somewhere. I still got to re- finish reading that, but I, I'm kind of curious because you know, with all the the different myths and folklore that are worldwide they've got to stem from those earlier time periods. Right. So I don't know. That's my thought. I'm going to like, I'm going to be paying careful attention when I finish the rest of that book. 
Yeah, I, I really want to know. I do too. I want to know. Was she there? Was she there at the beginning? Has she been right? there the entire time? Because you can't get that. She she is compared to Persephone. Now, okay, you say that, but is it her that's compared to uh, Persephone, or is that one of her sisters? Because there's well, the three. There are the three, but that's the thing. You can't. There's nobody when they're and talking they're, about. And they're Baba, all, they're, they're all named Baba Yaga. <laughs> not differentiating between which Baba Yaga they're talking about, because you when you go further into these these stories the folklore um and the retellings because like we mentioned before it was all like this oral tradition before she was ever like actually written down in the 17th century so in some of them she does have two sisters but she's also got like interns that are that work for her and then she's got 12 daughters that are represented as fiery horses. So, <laughs> like, is it maybe right? one of the dogs that are like Persephone? I don't know. And I'm then there was also mention of uh, a red horse, a black horse, and another horse. But they were all like representative of the day, the moon, and the night. So, yeah. It's interesting how, like, all of these different pieces to this puzzle, I'm trying to see the whole picture and see what it, like, what she really is. Because it's so hard, like you said, to nail down exactly what she is or, you know, kind of what her purpose is for being in these folktales. Yeah, I mean, she was vilified. Because, I mean, how do you, because, um, I mean, it happened to the Morgan. The Morgan was also vilified, okay? So she went from being this, both of them actually went from being this helper of humanity or protector or Valkyrie or um, a mother or grandmother, Right. It all they were taken from that position and then put into these these villainous, if you don't almost boogeyman type things. You know, right. if you don't stand like your mom and dad told you, the boogeyman's gonna come get you. And that's how Bobby Aga is treated. There she's if you go outside and and go into the forest without your parents, Bobby Aga's gonna get you. You know? Yeah. So I, I'm having there's to also there's all these, like in the fairy tales, there's, like most things, lessons to be learned. And, you know, the the main lesson of the one, one of the ones that I read today was talking about being kind to one another and how, you know, the children's real grandmother uh, gave them a piece of ham and was like, I can't help you beyond this point. So you're going to have to go to Baba Yaga and you know, serve her because your parents have given you up and it was a stepmom right. and a dad. And so they went to Baba Yaga. They gave the cat a piece of the ham. Uh, they gave the tree a piece of like silk from the girl's like hair tie. And then they gave the fence to the, 
the building uh, or the house uh, some oil. So they were kind to all the different parts of, you know, Baba Yaga's keep. And because of their, their kindness, they were able to get away and, you know, the creatures in the woods actually helped them escape. So there's, there's stories to be, or there's lessons to be learned from the stories. So it's, it's kind of cool how they're made, even though she is vilified in this, it's, you know, teaching you how to be a better person. So yeah, basically the, the grandmother told the children, I can't help you because you've been basically orphaned and given up to Baba Yaga from your evil stepmother. Right, because the stepmother was evil, guys. She was right. it's kind of like a Cinderella story here, and it's also got a, it's kind of like got a Hansel and Gretel kind of feel to it as well. That's what I thought too. Yeah, I'm wondering because, if those stories have their roots in this story. I mean, they really could. They really could. And that tree that the little girl, because these these two children, a uh, boy and a girl, were twins. And the tree that the girl gave the piece of ribbon to, to keep the tree from scratching their eyes out, is a birch tree. And in many other pantheons and religions, a birch tree is a sacred tree. Yeah. And I actually have some experience with that one. That one's actually kind of (laughs) scary. Not so much related to Baba Yaga, but related to possibly the Fae. So... Oh yeah, that's the the camping trip, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was nuts. That with the birch. Yeah, we're gonna have to talk about that when we either do like paranormal umbrella or maybe do a tea time or something because that that entire story about y'all's camping trip is wild. (laughs) It really is, and. You know, the, the moment I even mention it, my fiance goes, oh, don't talk about that. Like, <laughs> he's still really freaked out about that. And we won't go back up there in that area without like at least six people. At least I don't feel comfortable going up there without at least six people, preferably some that are slower than me. <laughs> <laughs> and as you all know, I'm ready to go. Let's go. <laughs> I'm ready to see it. I'm ready you to see it. You say that. You say that until the hair's prickling on the back of your neck. <laughs> oh, no, I want to go. I want to see this. I do. Oh, God. Here's, here's the interesting thing about the birch trees, okay? The birch tree, you know how they talk about how Bobby Yaga's house slowly rotates itself and is supposed to be sitting on giant chicken legs? We haven't actually talked about that yet. Okay. Go so, go into the description of what exactly the house and her little property area looks like because it this is a cryptid in in and of itself. It's crazy. It, it really is. It's like its own dimension for one thing, and it can move. I don't know if anybody here has seen Howl's Moving Castle. Well, that's kind of like that's Bobby Yaga's house. Her house stands. This is the modern translation of it. Her house stands on giant chicken legs, and the house itself rotates slowly, like a clock, like the hands of a clock, on top of these chicken legs that just move constantly throughout the forest. 
she'll stop, you know, and do her thing because she goes out during the day to, to hunt, to find children or men to eat. And then in the evening, she comes back to her house that's alive all on its own, a little realm of itself, and cooks them in the oven and eats them there. And this house has a gate on top of the chicken, okay, on top of the chicken legs. There is a fence and a gate around it that's made out of human bones. And on top of the fence, it is decorated with human skull. And they're basically the lanterns that light up the property, like her little, you know, dwelling place. Yeah, if you ever played the forest, you'll know exactly what it looks like because it's like the, the, the exactly. skull in the forest. That's what it's like. And the lock to her door is made out of human a mouth, a pair of jaws, and sharp teeth, sharpened teeth that clamp and move on their own. So it, uh, this house is a being of its own. That she lives Not in. to mention, apparently there's a giant rooster head on top of the house, too, in yeah. some of the stories. So the- now, now, one thing about her house is that I feel like the the way they explained how how it became known as like the chicken legs, it, it's kind of interesting because I guess back then in like way, way olden times, um, people used to build their houses on tree stumps because the tree stumps would keep the critters from being able to get up and into the house. So mm-hmm. they used the tree stumps to kind of almost create like stilts for the house, kind of like down south where, you know, like on the beach and stuff where they have yeah. all their houses on stilts, kind of like yeah. that. But because they were tree stumps, the roots looked like the chicken toes, like the chicken claws spreading out and kind of going into the ground. So it's interesting how like they've taken that and turned it into really like this fairy tale cryptid of a house that yep. it, it's crazy. It, it's kind of cool, actually. They took it literally. They took it literally. They they call the the tree stumps, and I think they're birch as well. Because of the way that the root com- the root system comes out underneath the tree, they refer to them as chicken legs because that's what it looks like yeah. chicken legs. So they I think they were the- fir trees. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But they they took that and did a literal translation. They were like, "We're going to make these literally chicken legs, big old drumsticks that they're walking on out in the middle of the park." <laughs> right. <laughs> But it's crazy how this house is. It's, it's almost like a separate entity to Bobby Yaga herself. And like you said, it's almost like this different dimension inside. Now, one thing, okay, and you may have seen this, you may not, I don't know. Uh, but you remember the movie Brave? Was that yes. Baba Yaga? I mean, it could I have think been. That may have been Baba Yaga. It could have been, I mean, it's the way that, but I mean, the way that witches are portrayed in in almost every movie, whether it be Pixar or Disney or even just some horror movies, is that they're, they're crazy old ladies who have forsaken society and they live in witch huts. 
that are right. But at the same time, like in terms of like with Brave, she was still, you know, wise in teaching the girl a lesson. And she had that, you know, those sharp, cunning eyes. So she was definitely, you know, portrayed as kind of a kooky, crazy lady. But at the same time, there was like some sharper wits underneath that as if it was almost all an act. Yeah. So. Exactly. so, I mean, you could, I mean, it could be, it could, she could be like the archetype for all, for the basis of what all witches are supposed to be, I guess. For, I <laughs> for all lonesome witches and huts in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's I mean. <laughs> but, now. One cool thing that I found when reading these is that there are magical items that are mentioned in the stories, like a comb, a towel, or a scarf, and an actual sword. Now, the sword, I guess, I had to look it up separately, but the sword is, I guess, a flaming sword, which has been mentioned in other folklore as well but a flaming sword that swings of its own accord basically you let it do its thing and it's its own separate entity so there's that which actually you know i recently saw something about that where there is a sword that is considered an angelic being all of its own i was watching a video And it it was about angels and everything. And it was talking about how in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were kicked out, the entrance was guarded by an angel and a flaming sword. And the flaming sword would move on its own accord and prevent anybody from coming into the garden. So I wonder if that... that's the same flaming sword. Now, sorry, I'm just connecting pieces together as like my train of thought goes, but yeah, I'm wondering if that's, if that's the same flaming sword, it's an angelic thing. I could be, I mean, there's so many different, there's so many spider webs. There's so many spider webs. It's crazy. It's a whole can of worms. When we went looking for Baba Yaga, we opened like 13 cans of worms here. Right. And there's, there is there is no rhyme or reason to it. She cannot be pinned down with one definition. She is she's not really she's almost like an anti-hero in some cases. You know, she's just almost like Deadpool. <laughs> Baba Yaga is Deadpool. She, she's uh, Grandma so, Deadpool. She's, <laughs> you, she's like Grandma Deadpool here. And here's the thing, when you talk about the like magical items that she had, that flaming sword is really cool. And one of the angels uh, in Christianity does wield a flaming sword. But well, and see- actually... It was mentioned that the flaming sword was actually an angel unto itself. Like it was a living entity that was in like literally the shape of a sword. Like it was, it had its own mind and it had, it did its own thing completely separate from the wielder, which is what the, the flaming sword that Baba Yaga talks or that is with Baba Yaga. So, and then also the flaming sword is, 
mentioned in the Arthurian legends. It is mentioned. Uh, oh gosh, uh, it was part of the Tuatha Dé Danann sacred relics, as with as along with the cauldron, uh, the the crying stone, uh, and a couple others, the spear. Uh, but yeah, the sword was one of those. So I don't know if this is the same sword, but it sure sounds like it could be. I mean, uh, and the cauldron, the cold, you know, the great cauldron when you, when you're talking about the, uh, Tuatha Dé Danann, um, is basically the cauldron of creation. Right. Like, well, and it was the, an endless, it was a way of producing endless food for the Tuatha Dé yeah. Danann because they could just eat and eat and eat and it would never go dry. Yeah. So it's insane. It's insane. But the towel. Okay. So we're talking about how she has these magical items, right? So we've got the that one's cool, sword, which is cool. The towel or the scarf that depending, like I said, depending on the telling, um, if you were to toss it behind you, which is this is in the, the tale of the twins that were escaping from Babiaga, they took the towel at the behest of the cat, the black cat. The black cat gave them the towel and the comb for in turn for them being kind and giving him the slab of of ham, right? So they tossed the towel behind them. And the towel turns into a very wide, long river. And that's used to basically give them time to get as much space between themselves and Bobby Yaga, who's chasing them on a broom. Okay. And Bobby Yaga basically has to hop between stones to find a shallow place in this river for her to be able to cross over because her broom can't fly over it. And she can't swim. So she's going to be able to walk across this river. So it gives them time. So that towel, you toss it behind giant river. And then the comb. The comb. The comb. The comb comb basically, you, you do the same thing as with the towel where you throw it behind you as you're running for your life. And it turns into this massive forest that is really tightly knit with like the trees branches are so close together that they can't nobody can cross through it preventing baba yaga from getting even closer to you so it creates creates this barricade of wilderness that separates you from her so you can get away mm-hmm. it, and another thing of it it if you throw the comb behind you it turns into a mountainous range right so, so these are some pretty hardcore magic items yeah, like, like she's got Baba Yaga's got tricks, okay? She's got tricks. She's got cauldrons, she's got flaming swords, she's got a towel that turns into a river, a comb that can either be a dense forest with a canopy so thick that she can't get through it, or a mountainous range that she can't cross. But they're also supposed to be hers that she can use against other people. So right. it's a damned yeah. if you do, damned if you don't situation. <laughs> Now, one thing, okay, when I was researching this, one thing that really kind of made me take a step back and go, okay, wait a minute, hold up, was the fact that that comb is not only mentioned in like Slavic uh, folklore, 
but also Korean folklore. Now, okay. Oh, tell them about that. How, how, does that, how does that even... I, the distance between those two. I, how does those? How do those legends mesh? Like, yeah, right? like where did they come from? Because those are two completely different cultures. Completely like, different, and there's no explanation as to how it happened. Now, the only way that I can see from a geolog or from a ge- geographical uh, perspective is that you've got. Korea, you got China, you've got Mongolia, and then you've got Russia. And Mongolia is kind of the separation barrier there with the huge Mongolian desert and everything. So I'm wondering if maybe it made its way through like the Mongolian Empire and found its way into Russia from there. But that that's a big stretch. I mean that that's a lot of ground to cover. That would be like, you know, Norse mythology being Yeah, that's like Norse mythology being discovered in South America. Like it shouldn't happen. Now, in terms of that, I will say that there have been golden tablets found off topic, by the way, golden tablets found in South America with um with runic writing on it, along with a bunch yeah. of other ancient languages. So interesting enough. Yeah. I dude, but I don't care what anybody says. The more that we, Yeah, exactly. But that's that's what I was getting at is I don't care what anybody says nowadays. Um when you look at the different folklore, the pantheons with the different gods and goddesses and different cultures, and them all having similar attributes, if not exactly the same, just going by a different name or having a different body type, you know, um, all over the world, culture was shared, okay? I By this point, you can't convince me otherwise. Because we have seen and and researched so much into these cryptids, right? That there's no way that somebody from, like you said, like from Mongolia, didn't happen to travel to Russia, which um, was in Russia at the time of Russia, you know, traveled there and they just shared their culture with each other. Like, dude, you have a goddess that does that? Dude, so do I. Right? Dude, sure. And like, like the fact... The the fact that, like, you've got, um, uh, what is it? The, you've got, oh my gosh, my brain. Um, where (laughs) I'm trying my brain. Um, shoot, the it's a it's the C, it, it, the two, oh my gosh, my brain. The two C's. In the night, uh, it's a <laughs> it's the sea about. that the the sea that's uh, by Greece and I've swam in it, it off of the coast of Italy and oh my gosh I can't you I can't can believe my it. brain is you can see it. <laughs> anyway uh, I, literally uh, maybe she can tell us in the comics comments the name of this of this sea that she's referring to. I cannot believe it's a, it's a popular one. My brain's just not working. Uh, but anyway, like the, you're having you're having a sooth moment. 
I very much so. <laughs> but Hold like there um like there's actually records of the Greeks coming across the ocean to um Michigan and mining copper off of Michigan, like off of the Keweenaw Peninsula of Michigan. So the fact that they can get over to Michigan all the way from Greece, the Mediterranean Sea, that's what it is. Oh my gosh. Yep. Thank you, Brian. The Get Mediterranean out. Sea. <laughs> what is the Mediterranean Sea for 500 <laughs> <laughs> And the sad part is I've actually swam in it before. I've, I've been there. I've seen it. Has, has it been a long week? Has it been it's a been a week? long, long week. <laughs> Do you need a Red Bull? Do you need a Red Bull? I have extras. I have extra but, Red Bull. Oh, you know, kick it in. As opposed as I am to energy drinks, I might be up for it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Like, people from the Mediterranean Sea made it across the ocean to mine copper 3,000 years ago. 3,000. So if they can do that, I feel like Baba Yaga's comb can come from. Korea. I, I just, I feel like it's possible. Anything is possible at this point. And I'm telling you, anything is possible. There's too many coincidences, and y'all can't see me, but I'm doing the finger quotes, okay? The air quotes. There's entirely too many coincidences and too many uh, folk tales from all of these different cultures that are either way too similar or exactly the same. So right. they have to have they they traded culture, they shared culture. I I, and, just, I believe. Oh, and not to mention, Baba Yaga has a flying carpet. Like so, that's a thing too. And oh, don't wow. get me started on flying carpets because they were real. They for sure were real, and nobody can convince me otherwise. Because I, totally I, different I podcast. Totally different podcast, but like the first aerial assault took place uh, in India using flying carpets. It happened. In fact, the Library of Alexandria, they said it was said to that the students there would actually use flying carpets to go up to the higher levels to access the scrolls and books and stuff that they had at the higher levels. So, oh, yeah, we're going to talk about that. You're going to have to that, talk about that with Paranormal Umbrella because I need to know more about that. Oh, I can, I can go on and on about flying carpets. I won't because of, you know, getting off topic, but I, I would, I can go on about that. Well, how so, about we listen to some of these comments because we Oh my gosh. We, yeah. We Holy have <laughs> Let's go for it. All right. Sorry, guys. We were kind of in the groove with the Bobby Yaga thing because it blew my mind to find out that she was a goddess and not this hideous goblin creature feeding on people. So, okay, moving on. Sorry, here we go. So she's the human personification of uh, Moldavite. Yeah! Yeah! Yeah, basically. Exactly. Yeah, she is the human personification of Moldavite. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't, still don't want to touch it. No, I don't need it in my life. I'm good. I've got it. Moldavite is in like the, the stone. The meteorite glass? The stone. It's a stone. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I have a necklace of Moldavite. 
Why? It's good, right? No. <laughs> really? Okay, look, I mean, look, it can be for some people. Yes, if you're in that stage of life that you're ready to have everything turned upside down and for you to learn all the hard truth. It's like Moldavite in um, witchcraft, okay, for lack of a better term here, or in, in Christology because I'm making up words right now, um, is one of those stones that is used to transform your life. Like, you're going to learn all the hard truths, all of your shadow work, all of that stuff. It's, it's going to be like on coke. It's going to be like on cocaine, okay? You are just, it's on speed, it's on meth, it's taking you with it, whether you want to or not. It's just it's just one of those things where you're gonna learn all the hard truths, all the the goods, the bads, and the uglies at like the speed of light. So if you're not ready for that, if you're not ready to get down to your basic self, almost your animalistic personification, don't do it. Don't touch it. Huh. You're not ready. Apparently you're ready, girls, if you've got a freaking necklace up. I, I've been wearing a necklace, well, not recently, just because, you know, uh, my necklace broke, but I was no. wearing a necklace, I was wearing a Moldavite necklace for a while, so, I mean, but, like, I already dealt with the whole authentic self, me, like, being me, you know, so, that is true. That I, is I've true. already dealt with that, so, like, for me, you know, no now big thing for me. <laughs> I'm interested to know when did it break? Did it break while you were wearing it? And how long ago did it break? Um, let's see. It broke, I would probably say maybe six months ago. And yeah, yeah I was where I was wearing it when it broke. Yeah, that's but yeah. The the wire on it that was holding it was a silver wire, the silver uh just kind of bent too many times and it eventually broke. But yeah, I wore it for like two, two years, three years, something like that. Um, and were those years kind of hard? No, actually the, like really since I wore it, I, I did great, <laughs> but I keep in mind, I'm in a totally different state of mind. Like for me, I am like, embracing the hippie in me and like for me i just you've already made the journey you're in the the natural you oh yeah big time yeah okay (laughs) yeah for me like i i live 100 percent authentically walk in love like i at least i try to you know walk in love and kindness and you know kind of focus on all the positives in life and really nothing has been able to change my mind on that. So, yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that explains a lot. We're going to move on to the next. Yeah, let's here. do it. <laughs> <laughs> talk about Moldavite and the, uh-oh, that goes along with Moldavite for way too long. <laughs> I am not ready. I'm not ready. I'm, not, I'm, I'm glad you were. Me, I mean, I am not Moving on. Ain't no way in hell y'all letting this flightless pterodactyl eat y'all kids. Ain't no way. <laughs> Ain't no way. 
<laughs> she don't go ahead and eat some damn bird seed and sit her tail down somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's her house. It's not exactly Babiaga. That's just her house that she uh, she resides in. So, yeah, I don't think yeah. you have to eat the kids per se. It just kind of no. based on. <laughs> <laughs> it provides the oven. It provides the surface for which Bobby Alba can cook. So. <laughs> oh my I mean, not to be cynical or you know throw throw shade at you know re- religion's not a thing that you should be talking about in civilized company, but. Just an observation I've had. I mean, not throwing shade or anything, but it seems like when you look at the source material for, like, uh, these ancient entities that have been here for time immemorial, and they, like, have big, huge roots in in pagan and other ancient belief systems, they're either helpful or indifferent to humanity. And then when you look at more modernized versions of the story where it's post-Christian intervention, they're vilified and evil and dark. It's I mean, not not trying to throw shade or anything, but it's kind of an interesting way to think of how the culture and stories have evolved to fit a specific narrative yeah. outside of the original intention of how these stories came to be, whether it be an actual entity or just ancient humans trying to kind of... Yeah. You're not wrong. No, you are not wrong. That, that's very true. It is very true. Christians... Uh, Roman Catholic Catholicism, they uh, they were not thieves in the night. They were barbarians coming to hit everyone's religion over the head. And then go, right. okay, so we're going to take this piece. They were like rummaging through it, the world religion, and just going, so we're going to use this piece and this piece. We're just going to kind of mod podge them together, and voila! New religion. Right. So... <laughs> I mean, but you're not wrong. Well, here's another baker noodle theory. If she had 12 daughters and no sons, and she's purported to eat children and men, did she eat all of her sons? Bum, bum, bum. (laughs) You know, like, uh, that... Now, okay, if she did have sons, they technically wouldn't be human sons, right? So, would she would she eat them if she's got a taste for human? I don't know. I don't, this is a this is a stairs and especially heinous moment. That's yeah, a good moment. I, I feel like I should be calling Mariska Hargitay and just doing something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, oh, I don't. Wanna, I don't know. I don't. Wanna... Every culture also has a great flood theory. So that is. Fact. That's true. Or fiction. I look here. There is factual evidence that has been found that the earth in a lot of places was there was a flood. There was a a, or considered a great flood at some point in time on almost every continent. So, and what, you know, that comes from like. I think a lot of that stems from Sumeria because Sumeria was big on teaching about the flood as well. And in fact, in the Epic of Gilgamesh, um, Gilgamesh actually sought out uh, Noah and found him because he was 
inquiring about Noah's long life, and because I think Noah was the grandson of Methuselah, who lived 900 and some odd years. So yeah. he was inquiring about the long, the longevity of life and how he could extend his own life. And yeah. there, there's a whole story there. But the fact that that was done, that was talked about in Sumeria, which is kind of the birthplace of civilization as the um, archaeology world says it is. But, you know, that's one of those origin locations where kind of everybody comes from. So it, mm-hmm. it's possible that we all just got it from from them. Now, from a geological standpoint, you're right. There are tons of places all over the world, even in like the Himalayas, that show like there's fossil records of fish, like ocean fish found at the tops of the mountains in the Himalayas. So clearly something happened that caused the whole world to be in a whole bunch of trouble. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Right, Hello, Sooth. Um, is it a G in final answer? <laughs> See, that's another good one. <laughs> but I love that. That, I love that. that was close. <laughs> Oh, the Mediterranean is the one I was going for. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was great. Final answer. $300 question. Don't okay. dare <laughs> give anyone no damn Red Bull. Put it away. Yeah. <laughs> I'm willing to share. If she's got some brain fog, I don't mind sharing. It's like, I got the strawberry apricot one. And I've got the dragon fruit one. And blueberry. And then regular. And then watermelon. So I mean, two. Wow, I didn't even know. I didn't even know they made those flavors. Yeah, and one of my favorite ones is the coconut berry, and it's really good. My top choice though is blueberry. So yes, I will be sharing, Tina. You're not my mom. (laughs) Put the Red Bull away right now. Yeah. As we speak, put it away. No, no more. No, thank you. I'm sharing. Okay, I'm sharing. I'm sharing too. Too late. So, so that stone just kind of throw, throws your life out of whack and makes you experience bad things. Who gave me some, and how do I end them? <laughs> I put Dylan. I do not doubt that somewhere in those bins at the Goodwill or or the thrift store that you work at was pro- there was probably some multivite in there. You come in contact with it somewhere. I have only ever heard about good things with Moldavite. So I don't know. A Moldavite will kick you in the the gonads, okay? They will kick you right in the unmentionable and you just have to keep suffering as you're, you know, because it pushes you. You have to like, you go through a transformation with this stone. You're... You're facing all your traumas. You're facing all of your fears, your nightmares. It's it's literally a stone for like shadow work, but it's going to turn your life upside down. People you thought you could trust can't trust them. You know that that thing that you were going to go do that you had all the faith in in the world. I'm totally going to succeed. Yeah, nah, throw it out after the window. That didn't happen anymore. That's what Moldavite does to you. It uh, that's crazy. It, yeah, it's going to teach you, strip you bare, and then rebuild you. 
So that's the good part about it. Okay. So it's like, it's teach. It's, it's basically speeding up all of your shadow work at like breakneck meth speed and telling, and just, you're going to have to face it. You have no choice. You face it. And then when you're done with it, it either disappears or breaks or moves on to someone else. Yeah, it's a it's a whole to do. We're gonna have to discuss that at some point. We really are. I have so, so much witch stuff come up in these podcasts. Holy so, crap quick question before we okay. jump on to the next one. Quick question. So, say it say it breaks, right? Do you yeah. fix it? Like, are you supposed to fix it? What's like? No, or are you supposed to like? It, it's pretty much you're done. Like, you've done the most that you can do at this point. So you don't really have need for it anymore. Huh. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying you're done with it for the rest of your life. I'm just saying you have done as much as you can to up to that point. So that's why I I don't mess with it. I've got enough. I've got enough chaos in my life. I don't need it. don't mean any more chaos that I create chaos that is attracted to my chaos and just makes it more chaotic. I just, I'm not, I don't need it. I'm good. But it's not just going down to your basic self. It's basically Moldavite will explode your life to recreate it. It will tear everything down and build it back up like a hurricane. Yeah. Yeah. But even the first nations of America, have a great flood theory or story. Yeah, that's true. They all do. That's true. So many cultures, so many cultures have a great, a great flood story. So many of them, but I will have to say that my favorite, I have two favorites, but my, my number one favorite is, I I can't remember which first nation believes it. I think it's Cherokee, but they believe that earth is on the back of a giant turtle because it's a cosmic turtle and I think it's actually there's several cultures that believe that including uh, is it the Polynesians Um, somewhere in the South Pacific I think they they talk about that and that's why the turtle is sacred yeah it's a giant cosmic turtle and I freaking love that I love that. It's the fact that you knew Red Bull make all those flavors. I didn't even know they made all those flavors. Put the Red Bull away. (laughs) Try water. (laughs) Right? Water's good for you. Coca Cola. Uh, try, try something else. Hell, try Gatorade. Red Bull. Put Red Bull away. Put 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 it away. At this point, they need to sponsor you. You need to be their their spokesperson. You need to be on every Red Bull commercial there is because you drink so much of it. You can go ahead and tell them to give good actual uh, 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 review on how Red Bull tastes at this point. Yeah, I know. Put it away. No more. I say. Put put, put it away. Do you hear that, Red Bull? I say Red Bull. I say Red Bull is reserved for long car rides or road trips. That's it. That's the only yeah. time I find it acceptable. No, I use it in my everyday life. Red Bull is an <laughs> everyday thing. Do you hear that, Red Bull? I will totally take a sponsorship. Just say it. 
Meanwhile, your heart. When it breaks, just bury it. Bury it deep. Walk away. Don't look back. Leave it. Yeah, exactly. But it was given to me. It was a gift. It was special. What? I can't just throw it away. It's not throwing it away. You just put it in a container and then you put it under dirt. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 <laughs> I, can't, I can't, can't do it. I can't do it. I can't let it go. I'm just, oh my goodness. In a water, oh I just God. realized that uh, I've been sitting here without any hydration for like four hours. So I grabbed my cold bottle of water just now. <laughs> When I tell you I inhale, <laughs> when I tell you I blinked and that water disappeared. Yeah, exactly. I'm having my little brother go downstairs and get some as we speak. Well, what do we tell you? What I tell you that the water disappeared. Oh. It's gone. It disappeared. And that was a full bottle of water. Had no business drinking it like that. But I'll drink water over some Red Bull. <laughs> Hell, I'll eat Brussels sprouts. A big old pot of Brussels sprouts, not unseasoned. Before oh. I'll drink Red Bull. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. I'll eat celery before I drink Red Bull. Hey, don't oh be knocking God. celery. I like celery. Is that? Do I see a big red? Is that big? Y'all are gonna have to excuse does, me for. A does I my just, eyes deceive me? <laughs> is that a big red? The comment? Oh, I'm sorry, y'all. I'm gonna have to skip over all your comments to get to this one. <laughs> comment. What you got for me, Big Red? I'll tell you what, I'll take mine off. If you take yours off, and we'll put them in a safe place. <gasps> Big Red is wearing Moldavite too? Uh-huh. <laughs> Wait, was he the one who gave it to you? We got them together. He got <gasps> he got both of us. I bet you anything. I bet you I bet you my Red Bull collection. Okay. That if y'all take them sons of guns off. And put them away exponentially better. Like you will have more control over the, your situations in life. <laughs> just say, just try it. Just try it for like two weeks. See what happens. Tell me what happens. I'd like. Well, to- mine's mine's been in my jewelry box for about six months now. Six ish months. Still in, it's still in your house. It's still in your house. Bury it. Bury right. it. Mark where it is buried, put it in a protective layer of stuff so that it won't get like, you know, destroyed and whatever. And just see what happens. Just see what happens. Do it do it as a little experiment and see what happens. And in the meantime, in place of that, get some smoky quartz and some rose quartz. Okay. And just see what happens after that. All right. Little experiment. Little experiment we can do there. I just want to see what happens. Interesting. Okay. Because, like, for me, Moldavite didn't, like, affect me negatively at all. Like, but, like I said, I've kind of already gone through, like, all of my stuff. So, like, for me, I feel great. I feel, you know, love and compassion. And, like, I want to, like focus on positive things and you know i'm very low stress low drama like but you've already so, gone through 
all your stuff, though. You went through all your transformative stuff. You did the spiritual work, the trauma work. You've been doing the work. So you put the work in. And then it was just like, my work is done here and dropped off for the last, you know, six months. Big red on the other is still wearing me. I'm still in contact with that stuff. Just, just try it. Just try it. So we have digressed. We have gone completely <laughs> off the track for Baba Yaga, as we do in almost every podcast now. Towards the the last ten minutes of the podcast, we just take all of the comments <laughs> that we can do, and we always end up going like at least a half hour over what we, we normally do so again i can't get to all the comments tonight but thank you so much for participating we love the comments we love the yes. banter you guys are awesome thank you so much for being here tonight and on that note i'm going to say grab the salt check under your bed and make sure there's no boogeyman under there and have a good week y'all thank you so much for being here Yes. Thank you guys. You guys are awesome. Have a good night.